0: Welcome to Huntersville Lutheran Sermon Webcast. We invite you to join us here for worship every Sunday at 10 a.m. Find out more at Huntersvillelc.com. Thank you for joining us today. Andy and I are no strangers to moving. Uh, we've been married almost five years this coming July, and we've moved four times in those five years. We've moved to Atlanta, to Milwaukee, to Huntersville, and then this past summer to Cornelius. And every time we move, I I like moving less and less. I hate packing up a tra- or I hate packing up the, the entire house, getting it into a trailer, then taking that trailer over to the new place and then unloading that. I mean, we're still unpacking boxes from our move last July. I said this to Andy the other day as I was thinking about all the moves we made that I I think I'd rather get hit in the shin with a bat than to move again anytime soon. I just dislike it that much. And all of you have moved at some point in your life. And I'm willing to to venture a guess that you like moving about as much as I do, right? It just sometimes sucks. But uh, there's this one thing with moving that that I think we can't escape, that moving is a very planned out thing. You don't just move around the country willy-nilly. I mean, I don't think any of you have. You move with a purpose, right? You move because of a job or to be closer to family or because you need a change of scenery or maybe for retirement, whatever it might be, you move. And once you decide to move, you start to put a plan in place. You put a date on a calendar. You find a new place to live. You rent a truck, or if you're fortunate enough that your company will pay for a, a moving company to move all of your junk for you, then then they'll come and they'll put everything out, and then they'll bring it to your new house, put it in. But even with those best laid plans, moving can still be stressful, right? But now imagine, imagine for a moment, moving without a plan. Imagine being told you're gonna you're gonna move somewhere without with barely any time to say goodbye to your family. You're gonna move a place that you have known your entire life. And you're going to move to a place where you have no idea where it is. That would be stressful. That is the exact situation that Abraham was in when God called him to move. Abraham was born into a, a really interesting part of world history. In the first 11 chapters of Genesis, you have a whole lot going on in the world. You have God bringing this world into creation through the spoken world, through the spoken word, and placing Adam and Eve in that perfect home. You've got the fall into sin and the first promise of a savior to rescue those people from sin. You've got sin so wreaking havoc on the world that Moses tells us that that every thought of mankind's heart was only evil all the time. You have God destroying the world in a cataclysmic flood, only saving eight people, Noah and his family and two of every kind of animal. After the flood, you have the Tower of Babel incident where man had turned, even after this flood, had turned inward on themselves, thought that they could get to heaven by building this great and giant tower, this obviously displeased God because he came down, he confused the languages of everybody and scattered them across the faces of the earth. And it's into this post-Babel world that Abraham is born into. Abraham was born to a, to a man named Terah. And Terah was a direct descendant of Noah. In fact, Abram is, is the eighth great-grandson, if you can count that all the way back, is the eighth great-grandson of Noah, the man whom God saved from the flood. Now Terah and his family, they settled in this place called Ur of the Chaldeans. It was in ancient Mesopotamia. So think think like modern day Syria and Turkey. This is where Abraham and his and his father and his and Abraham's nephew Lot, this is where they were all living. And Ur, it was a it was an advanced and sophisticated and cultured city. It was a city that was right along the Euphrates River, and that meant it was a trade city. And what happens in a trade city? You have a whole bunch of cultures and nations coming together to conduct business and oftentimes staying there for an extended period of time. And when you get a mix of culture, what else do you get? You get a mixed bag of religion. Some, some clay tablets that have been unearthed in, in this place where Abraham and his family lived in Ur. It, it tells us about all of these heathen temples that existed. And we find out later on in Joshua chapter 24 that Abraham's father, the spiritual leader of Abraham's family, he was an idolater. He worshiped false gods, which meant this is how he was leading his family, which meant Abraham, when God called him, was an unbeliever. It's pretty striking, isn't it? It's not that Abraham and Terah and the rest of Terah's family didn't know the one true God. They were direct descendants of Noah, the very one whom God saved from the flood. No, they knew who the true God was, but they allowed their hearts to be moved away from the worship of the one true God and moved to the worship of these false gods. And this is why God showed up and had Abram moved. God had to move Abraham out of this idolatrous city. He had to move Abram away from an idolatrous people and away from a family who were worshiping false gods. Because you see, since the, the very first promise, that, the very first time that God promised he was going to send a savior, he always preserved a remnant. He always preserved a, a man or a family of believers to carry on this promise of a savior for the next generation. First it was Adam, then it was Noah, and even though Abraham didn't know it yet, it was, it was going to be Abraham. But in order for that to happen, God had to move him. Move him away from his idolatrous ways, move him away from his unbelief, and move him to trusting and worshiping the true God alone. When you hear this setting and the situation that Abraham was in, in Ur of the Chaldeans, 4,100 years ago, right, you can't help but think of our modern-day setting, right? We live in a modern-day Ur of the Chaldeans. We live in a very advanced and sophisticated society. We live in a, you know, especially in a city, right, in Charlotte, that is a melting pot of culture. We are, a, we are a, a place and a city and a people who are prone to idolatry, just like Abraham's family was. Now, granted, idols and idolatry, they may not have, have temples that are built in the middle of cities for us to worship in, but that doesn't mean those idols don't exist, Because an idol is anything that you worship. And anything that you worship is something that you ascribe worth to. And anything that you ascribe worth to is something that you see value in. So you see anything in your life that you value. Anything that is worthwhile in your life has the potential to become an idol that you worship. And they look different for everybody. Maybe you worship the the idol of self-indulgence or the idol of self or the idol of knowledge or possessions. It looks different for absolutely everybody. But no matter how different they look, every single one of these idols has something in common. They are places or people or things that seek to move you away from the worship of the one true God. And just like God did for Abraham 4,100 years ago, he has to do for us. He has to move us away from our idolatrous ways or, our, or the potential for us to even give in to the worship of a false God and to get us to trust him and to worship him alone. But how did God do this for, for Abram? When God showed up and appeared to Abram, he gave him this instruction. He said, leave your country, leave your leave your people, leave your father's household and go to the land I will show you. Now at the time when, when God shows up and, and gives Abram these instructions, do you know how old he was? He was 75. He's this gray-haired man that God is now telling, why don't you get up and go uproot your life? You don't know where you're going to go, but you're going to go do it, right? Talk about stressful. God is asking Abraham to leave everything he knows behind, to leave behind the people and the city that he's lived in for three quarters of a century, to leave behind everything that's familiar to him and to go to a destination unknown. And had God only given him the instruction to go, it's doubtful Abraham would have even considered it. But God doesn't just give Abraham the instruction. He couples this instruction with the promise. God moves Abraham by promises. He moves him by promise. God needed to do this. He needed to move Abraham by these promises away from his idolatry and his unbelief to believing and trusting in the one true God. And in order to do that, he had to move him out of this idolatrous city, away from these idolatrous people. And the promises that he made him are fantastic. Look at what he says. These are the promises, this whole cluster of promises that God makes to Abraham. He says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. To a childless 75-year-old man and a 65-year-old barren wife, God promises an heir. He promises a son. He promises him, I will make you a great nation. To this 75-year-old man who's maybe having doubts about uprooting his entire life, the the life that he's known for three quarters of a century, God says and promises, I will bless you. God promises that I will make your name great. At this point when God shows up and calls Abraham when he's 75 years old, he's nothing more than a a well-to-do cattle rancher. But at that point, like this small detail, the fact that he herds cattle or camels, Like That's so insignificant compared to what we hear in the rest of Scripture because God certainly did make his name great. It is with Abraham that God shared some of his sacred secrets. It's with Abraham, or it's Abraham who is called the friend of God. It's Abraham who is the father of all believers. It's Abraham who is the ancestor to all of Israel, God's chosen people. It's Abraham who is the ancestor to the Messiah. God made good on that promise to make his name great. God also promises that whoever blesses you, I will bless, and whoever curses you, I will curse. Abraham would face opposition in this call when he was moved by the promises. Right? He, he would spend the last century of his life from the time that he was 75 to the time that he was 175. He would spend that entire time as a nomad living in a land that belonged to other people. But God said that Abraham would be so closely associated with the work of God that whoever cursed Abraham, it would be like cursing God. And whoever opposed Abraham, it would be like opposing God. And finally this this best promise that God makes. He says, "And you will and you will be a blessing to every person on this earth." This is the promise that there would be a great descendant from Abraham who would come and not only bring blessing but be a blessing to every single person. God did not move Abraham with demands. No, God moved Abraham with promises. And these promises could come from none other than the God of arrow pointing down love. Because look at these promises and look to whom look at to whom these promises are made. They are made to a sinful idolater named Abraham, a guy who didn't believe in God, a guy who worshiped false gods. These promises come from the Lord Almighty, the God of free and faithful love, the God of arrow-pointing-down love, because these are nothing but good and gracious gifts. And that tells us an important truth about the God that we worship, doesn't it? That God doesn't search out what is pleasing to him and then promise things to it. Because if he searched through sinful humanity to find what was pleasing to him, you know what he would find? nothing. Do you know what he would do? He would have given up a long time ago if that was the way he operates. But God doesn't work like that. No, God seeks out that which is displeasing to him and he makes it pleasing to him through promise. And this is exactly what he did to Abraham. Through promises, God created this simple trust, this deep trust in Abraham's heart. And do you know what this trust elicited, what these promises elicited in Abraham's heart? It didn't elicit a whole bunch of questions. It didn't elicit a whole bunch of of what if scenarios. God, what if this happens or what if that happens? You know, it elicited a faithful, simple obedience. Because you know what we're told that Abraham did? He listened to God and he went. He took his nephew, he took his barren wife, and he went on the move. Eventually, they they reached the land of of Canaan and it was inhabited by the Canaanites. And as Abraham is is looking around at this land that did not belong to him, the land that God showed him, the land that he was supposed to settle in and live, uh, I have no doubt that doubt moved into his heart. But just as soon as that doubt moved into his heart, God moved it out with yet another promise. Look at what he promises Abraham. The Lord appeared to Abraham while he's standing in Canaan. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring... I will give this land. That place where he is standing, God promises, is going to be the inheritance for his descendants, the inheritance for the people of Israel, that this is going to be their home. God did not move Abraham with demands. God moved him time and again with promises, assuaging doubts and getting him to move and to go. And God moved him in these significant ways. God moved him from unbelief and worshiping idols to having a, a simple and deep trust in the one true God. And this through promises, through promises, God moved Abraham physically from an idolatrous country an idolatrous people an idolatrous family to go to a new land that God would show him, even though he didn't know where it would be. God, through promises, moved Abraham from, from worshiping idols to twice in this account, building an altar to the Lord and worshiping him, the one he previously didn't believe in. And God moved his heart through promises, not just to look forward to a land that would be his ancestors or be his descendants but a land and a future and an eternity that would be his by faith. And this is shown to us in that promise that's made in in verse 3. That promise that says, And all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. This is a continuation of the promise that God made in the Garden of Eden. The promise that said, I will send a Savior to crush the head of the serpent, to make humanity right with me again by becoming a man and dying on the cross. This is the continuation of that promise. And God was telling Abraham, It is through you. It's through you that I'm going to bring this this promised Savior. And the simple faith that God created in Abraham's heart through all of these promises moved Abraham to trust in this. That though he would never see this promised Savior with his own two eyes, that he would be declared not guilty of his sin by the promised Savior to come. And in fact, we're told that Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. This is how Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 4. That God made Abraham right through the faith that He created through these promises that He gave him. I mean, even Jesus talks about Abraham like this. When Jesus in John chapter eight is talking to a bunch of unbelieving Jews, people who want to kill him, people who claim an, an ancestry and a lineage to Abraham, He calls him to the calls to the carpet and He says, He says, "You, your father Abraham, looked forward to my day, and he saw it and rejoiced." God moved Abraham significantly through these promises, moved him from unbelief to faith, to worship, to obedience, to turning his eyes forward to, an, to eternity that was his own. The way that God dealt with Abraham, it teaches us a very important truth about the way in which God deals with you and me, right? That God doesn't deal with you and me in terms of demands or in terms of legalism, do this and then you will be declared not guilty, do this and then you will be saved, That's not the way he works. The way in which God primarily deals with you and me is through promise. He moves us by the promise in the same way that God moved Abraham. I mean, think about your life. Think about how through promise God moved you from, from unbelief in a path that was destined for nothing but eternal death. Through promise, he moved you to a path of light and life. Through promise, God created faith in your heart, a faith that trusts every word that he speaks, a faith that trusts that his promises will never fail. Through promise, God God moves you to live live a life that is obedient to him, not because you have to or because you fear that if you don't, God will smite you. No, you do this because you willingly want to live this way. God, through promise, he moves you to say, to say no to all of the pleasures and the passions of this world and to find comfort in him alone. It's through promise that God moves you to say no to all of these all of these idols of the world that tempt you to away from God and to worship God alone God moves you through promise to surround yourself with other people of the promise who give you encouragement and strengthen you for your daily walk just like you're doing here this morning but the greatest promise that God uses to move your heart it's the same promise that that moved Abraham's heart so greatly 4100 years ago it's that promise of a savior the descendant of Abraham, the one born in Bethlehem, died in Jerusalem for your sins and was raised to new life to assure you of your eternity. This is the faith that moves your heart the, the most. It is the, it is the promise that, that your heart clings to most tightly. Because it is this promise that, that says to you when you are weighed down by all of the mistakes and, and the sin of your past, it is through this promise that God, the promise of a, a Savior who came and lived the perfect life for you, that God says all of that stuff in your past. forgotten. When you're weighed down by all the guilt from the daily sins that you commit and wonder how God could ever love you, the promise of a Savior who died in your place, it moves you to look to God and trust in him. It moves you to look to that cross. That promise of a Savior who died on a cross moves God to look at you and say, all of those sins, all of the guilt, it's forgiven. and you despair of this life, and your heart is moved and tempted by the devil and everything that he can throw at you in this world, The promise of a Savior who was raised to new life for you moves your heart in a significant way. It refocuses your faith and causes you to lift your eyes from the here and now to the forever to come, to the promised land that is yours by faith, the inheritance of a promised land that is yours by faith, the place where the God of Abraham lives, the place where all of Abraham's faithful descendants dwell forever, where you will live forever, the place where sin and death and the devil can no longer touch you, where the victory is won, and you will live in perfection with your God. When God called Abraham at 75 years old to move away from from Ur, from his family, from a nation, the whole reason that, that Abraham moved was because of faith. Because that faith that God gave Abraham, it trusted that every single promise that God made him would come true, that God would make good on every single one. Because when God makes you a promise, it's as good as accomplished. Because those promises of God, they are not just empty human words. They are truth and life because they are spoken by the one who is truth and life. And God's promises never fail. When Abraham was 100 years old, you know what happened? His His previously barren wife, Sarah, gave birth to Isaac, the son of the promise. When Abraham was 175 years old, When he had completed his race and God called him home, God made good in that promise of faith where he brought him to the hallowed halls of heaven. Nearly a thousand years after God called Abraham home, you know what happened? An ancestor of Abraham, a man named Joshua, led Abraham's descendants, the Israelites across the Jordan River, into the very land where God promised Abraham that his descendants would dwell. And God accomplished all of these promises. So that he could accomplish the greatest promise that he made to Abraham, that promise of a Savior. And 2,000 years after Abraham died, God moved heaven and earth to accomplish that promise. He took on flesh and blood, becoming a descendant of Abraham, Jesus Christ. Who walked to the cross for Abraham, for you and me, who stood in Abraham's place, who stood in our place and paid for all of our sins and was raised to new life. And it it is because God fulfilled this promise, because God moved heaven and earth to fulfill this promise, it means that he has given you and moved everything to give you entrance into God's family forever. God fulfilled this promise for you, for Abraham, for all Abraham's descendants. And friends, just like he did for Abraham, God will continue to move your life and your heart and your faith in all of his promises because his promises never fail. Amen.